Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Had he not loved us first. Amen? You understand conceptually what that means? We are what in our trespasses and sins? We are made alive. Why? Because of Christ and in Christ. There is no spiritual life in anyone apart from that. In the Old Testament, what were they? They were dead spiritually. They were living according to a law that did not give them the ability to truly live. And that's what's so beautiful as you look forward to those who place their faith in God in the Old Testament. And yet, then in the New Testament, we see the consummation of all the promise in Jesus Christ. It's awesome because tonight's message is titled, uh, is titled Looking Back. And um, if you have your reverse sunglasses on, you can look back tonight for the notes. Um, or you can look like those people that are straining towards what is behind and not looking towards what is ahead. Oh, there's more verses I just took out of context, right? The Bible says what? Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead. But right tonight, if you need to look behind, you'll be okay. And uh, you won't look like something's wrong with you or you'll like the people that used to look when the preacher preached too long. They were looking back at the clock. And I used to put the clock 15 minutes ahead so that I preached, but then everybody got real nervous because they thought it was way too late and they were going to miss their entertainment at uh, Morrison's Cat. No, there's no Morrison's anymore, is there? The local cafeteria. You're going to make it to lunch, and you definitely are going to lose getting there before the Methodists. I'm sorry. We are going to stay faithful to the Baptist tradition of running later, but I assure you, I will be nowhere near the length the independent Baptists go. Did you hear what I said? The independent Baptists will be preaching long after you've gotten out. So, I just went down a hardcore rabbit trail. Praise God for it. Matthew chapter 17, tonight, Matthew chapter 17. I know God has a sense of humor. Um, there are so many things I could share with you about that tonight. Most assuredly, God has a sense of humor. In the creative design of a lot of things, you see humor in God's creation uh, even with God allowing us to humor one another with the fact that we're so polar opposites sometimes shows that God has a great sense of humor, actually. Tonight, we're going to look at uh, four verses tonight out of a story. I love this story. It's a transfiguration. Um, I'm not even going to go deeply into the theology of the transfiguration tonight. I'm actually going to look at one attribute of it. And this attribute comes from one of our dear brothers in the Lord, as he is there, uh, uh, actually three of them are there experiencing this transfiguration and a statement that's made up there we're going to look at tonight. But I hope you found Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. We'll go ahead and get into the scripture and you'll see what I'm referencing tonight. And if you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence tonight for the reading of God's word. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light, 
Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here, and I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for your word, God, the challenge of it, the encouragement, the conviction. Father, all that your word does. God, I pray as we, we know your promises that it will not return void, but will accomplish what it was sent to accomplish. God, we pray this for every assembly all over the globe tonight, that ones would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, grow, and be conformed greater into your likeness. Father, we commit this time to you. We ask it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So verse 1 and 2 again, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, his brother John, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, transfigured in front of them, his face shone like the sun, clothing became as white as the light. We'll stop there. First thing I want to share with you tonight is this, seeing God's power is a blessing from him. Now, I'm not even talking about if you were there, that would have been an amazing thing to experience. I could not imagine being there with Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Can you imagine them with Elijah and they're conversing? We hear this part that they're having conversation. Doesn't say what it is. It doesn't really matter what it is. This is a dynamic event. It's almost in essence like this epic of pastoral coronation moments in a sense. When he, Jesus is transfigured, the Holy Spirit, the power of the Spirit, the, the oneness with, of imagine Peter, James, John. Why were they picked to experience this? We don't know that. doesn't say, does it? What it does say is that they experienced the power of God like no one had experienced before. Amen? We're going to see something here in just a moment because when we see the power of God, we see it in so many various ways. Whether it's in a prayer closet, praying in tongues, whether it's in the assembly and the Holy Spirit just overwhelms you with His power, His presence, whether it's listening to praise and worship music and just being in one with the Spirit of God crying out, whether it's in prayer, there's so many different ways to experience God's hand, God's supernatural power. It's unlimited, literally. God cannot and will not be limited, amen? We may not experience the power of God because so often we hinder the ability for God to greater reveal himself to us because remember, God doesn't speak like that anymore, right? How many times have you heard that? Well, God doesn't do that. God doesn't, he, now that was apostolic period. God doesn't heal. God doesn't, and uh, you know, it, uh, it's kind of that thing. It's that past, and, and that's wonderful, and we just pray about it, and we know that God is just going to let it happen. No, that's not true, and you can believe that if you want to believe it, but that's not Scripture. God is actively involved in our lives right now every single day. So the question becomes, you see God's power today in a mighty event in your life, whether it's in the quietness of a prayer closet with that mo uh, movie uh, prayer, um, War Room, or whether it's you singing praise and worship and it's as if the Spirit of God descends and dwells within the midst of your assembly by yourself driving down the road. Nonetheless, you are going to be on a spiritual high, aren't you? This is a question. What happens when these events happen? They're wonderful times. But is this the everyday life of a believer? No. There's certain periods of time that God reveals himself in greater ways. It's the, the, the height most often in our brokenness that in our sold-out communion and fellowship with God, it's as a sense he gives us a greater 
feeling of his presence at those times, sometimes in comfort, sometimes feeling like I did at one point where it's almost as if God is holding you. Is that a, the thing with which you hang on to then for the rest of your life and you focus back on and that is the culmination of your worship and the height of your walk with him? It better not be. But that's the battle that we face as humans. And we're going to see that in just a second. Listen to verse 3 and 4 again. Suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And we'll stop there. Don't focus on the miracles of yesterday. Live today seeking to honor the Lord with all your, you have, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your body, all your strength. Because... Look at what Peter's saying. I'm at the pinnacle of what I would want to experience spiritually. Let's build some houses. Let's stop ministry all over the globe because it just matters for us up here right now. Let's build a house. Let's stay in this moment and we're going to dwell here forever. Peter's selfish, isn't he? We would all battle with that. I'll build you houses, guys. Let's just not let this moment end. What would Peter have done for the kingdom? By, by the way, just Peter, but look, who else? Peter, James, and John. What would they have done for the kingdom had Jesus gone, oh, that's a swell idea. Let's just start a hut up on top of this mountain and just us, six people, can experience this beauty of oneness with each other. It would have stopped ministry, wouldn't it? It would have stopped Jesus' ministry. But that's the battle with us in the, the flesh, the finite, when it comes in the fellowship in close connection with the infinite, is sometimes we can end up with, in a sense, a high. It's a euphoria. And that euphoria, if we're not careful, can be something, and I see this a lot, sadly to speak, on TV preaching stuff. What happens is, is they get this euphoric, high that becomes the focus if you're not very careful because why well last sunday's worship man i'm telling you I, it, it felt like nothing stop you said the wrong word felt feeling is a dangerous thing isn't it even in spiritual realms you got to be very careful because i love a good feeling don't i i love a good spiritual feeling but is this euphoria, the danger becomes then for the people that are responsible for that worship is what? Oh man, we got to bring them to where we were last week. And remember, is it going to be okay in our culture if we just go where we went last week? No, we better go a little higher, right? Because everybody told me about how it was amazing. Just keep it up. Keep doing that. Oh no, um, we better do something. And the danger becomes that you end up chasing a feeling versus ushering people into the presence of the Lord in worship. What does worship look like? Well, I love it when it is amazing worship and amazing sound and amazing everything, but that's not worship. Worship is in when you, you can literally sit in the presence of the Lord with no instrument and sing a cappella with the most horrific voice that any human being has ever been blessed with, and you can enter God's presence, in some cases, much more incredibly than a 15-stringed orchestra with smoke and lights ever dreamed of doing. Why? Because the authenticity 
of that person in that prayer closet singing in utter praise and worship unhindered is a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the wrong heart and mind and motivations of 15 stringed orchestra or anything else for that matter, if it's not right, it is not a, only a pleasing aroma, it's a stench in the nostrils of the Lord. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is peace, but if there is not the blessing of God and the motivations, we end up with a, Roman, or a Revelation chapter, huh, church at Ephesus, and it doesn't matter what it looks like, what is the heart, what's the intention, and what is it leading you to? I have been places where there was no avoiding the fact that the music was nothing more than entertainment under the guise of worship. I remember so vividly one instance of this where I actually was nauseated. I was nauseated over it because it was so unspiritual that I sat in there and I'm trying to refrain from anyone seeing what I'm feeling because I was at a funeral the day before and I was still at, at that city for the funeral in a, another state thousands of miles away. And I'm sitting there going, and I said, God, what's wrong with me? What is wrong? Why? What's wrong with me? Am I burned out? Am I tired? Why am I sensing an oppression in the midst of this worship? So I sat there and I continued to pray against it. I continued to pray and I prayed. And after I got done, the people I was with, godly people, beyond a shadow of a doubt, sold out, spiritually sensitive people. I got in the car and I said, is there anything weird that you sensed in there? And they said, the music was oppressive. And I said, I wasn't gonna say anything because I thought it was just me and I was off base and I was trying to repent, but I didn't want to repent of it until I was sure of it. But what had gone on, they said that was merely for entertainment and not worship. And it was very telling as I experienced that because that was the first time that I'd ever experienced that before. And it's dangerous though because the human emotion desires emotional experiences, right? I know I do. Listen, remember I was in the Christian music business I know was some worship and some praise. I was at the first gospel, uh, Gaither homecoming ever in Indianapolis. Listen, I know what some incredible godly musicians can do, but I also know the polar opposite of that. Danger, though, of us in our human form is that emotion is so deceptive. Why? Because emotion can deceive us into believing if we're not careful something spiritual. Is it emotional or is it spiritual? Peter's falling victim to him and of himself because this is a very godly moment. This is a Holy Spirit-led divine encounter, right? Peter, though, is taking this out of context now and wanting to make this very awesome experience a euphoric self-induced euphoria that he stays in and dwells in. Because why? It feels good and I like this. Was that the purpose of this? No. This was the Jesus ministry in, in essence being put on steroids and Jesus was getting ready to go out and gonna go and, and, and he's gonna wear it out. Jesus was come to do what he was supposed to do and this was in essence this moment in history not for Peter to freeze and have Moses and Elijah in these little huts with 
up there having a little party by themselves. And that's the danger that we fall into that we've got to be so careful about because the miracles of yesterday are a blessing that we need to embrace for what they are. We cannot live the rest of our lives on those miracles of yesterday. Oh man, it was so awesome. 15 years ago, it was the most amazing thing. Man, God met me right where I am. I hope you've had something more than somebody, an experience that God has met you with 15 years ago. I hope God is intervening in your life literally on a daily basis. I hope God is divinely, and it doesn't matter, even in supernatural provision, I hope God is meeting us on a daily basis in needs. God has intervened in our lives somewhere and healed someone that he is an answer to prayer that we've prayed about. He has met the things that God's done in the midst of this church. How many people have we prayed over and God has dealt with situations that could not have been humanly dealt with? Anybody know? Amen. God answers prayer, doesn't he? But we've got to be so careful because the human emotion can take us to places where we chase an emotional experience and we want to dwell there from now on. Now, is it okay to reference? If Peter was saying, man, you'll never believe it, right? That's how it starts out with, right? You'll never believe it. We were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It was incredible. It's okay to share that story. But that can't be the pinnacle of everything that you believe and everything that you know. The things that God is doing on a continual basis, that's the reality of being a follower of Christ. As you or I go home tonight and have something on our minds that we don't know how in the world God's going to ever supernaturally do it. Are we going to sit back and go, man, I just wish God would, would do what he did 15 years ago. Imagine when you say that to somebody who's a new believer. Oh, what happened to your God? Did he take off? Your God's not answering prayer anymore? Well, I hope that God is answering prayer in your life. I hope that God's revealing himself to you. I don't want us to talk about what happened 15 years ago to you because that's 15 years removed to me. Tell that to a 15-year-old. Back before you were born, God did something really powerful. Well, I hope he did something in the last 15 years because that sounds like he took off. That's not the God that I want to know about. That sounds like the God that said, well, I've done enough here. I'm out of here, that deistic kind of God. I want that God that's intricately involved every day in my life that sustains me on days when I can't put one foot in front of the other. When I don't have a clue which end is up. When you mom are at home with those kids and you go, God, I can't do this another day. That God that says, hey, cast all your cares on me. My yoke is easy. My burden's light. That God that gives you 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 9 and 10, not just for Paul, but it's for you right now. His power is made perfect in the weaknesses of us, which is continual. That's why we boast in our infirmities, our persecutions, our weaknesses. For when we are weak, he is strong. That is what's so powerful here. And looking back is a danger for us. It is so important for us to remember. Raise your Ebenezer's now. What's your Ebenezer's? Those are your rock of remembrance. Remember where God brought you from. Don't ever forget the broken mess you were when Jesus Christ reached down in the height of your brokenness while you were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he what made you alive in Christ as you cried out repentance to him. By the way, the first prayer God ever heard from you or me was the prayer of repentance. He never heard one before that. What do you mean? I prayed all kinds of prayers before I got saved. Doesn't matter. Those never hit the wall. They hit the ceiling, hit the walls, and disappeared into infamy. 
God cannot hear the prayers of sinners unless it's a prayer of repentance. Amen? Because until Jesus Christ becomes your eternal high priest, there is no ability for us to enter the Holy of Holies, the, high, huh, the eternal high priest, the presence, his fellowship den, which is his throne. There is no possible way until Jesus Christ and us are, have that meeting where we recognize he's God and we are not. He is our Savior. He's our King. We're not our own. There's no way to the Father but through Him. And when we confess our sin, place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that is when God hears our prayers. And that's an exciting thing. Then we move on from there. I hope that the salvation experience for you is not the height of your walk with Christ. If so, we've got problems. Amen? Because daily, there should be new heights of glory. What do you mean? New heights as you're growing in Christ, as you're being discipled, as God begins to pour his thoughts, his heart out to you. What do you mean? Do you mean that, that it gets much better than this? Oh, absolutely. Well, you mean I'm more saved than? No. Delight yourself in him. He gives you the desire of your heart. Seek him with all your heart. He will be found. Knock and it shall not ask and it shall be given you seek and you shall find knock and the door will be opened you want that relationship with the Lord do you want to feel like you're Peter on top of that mountain you get in God's presence continually you delight yourself in him you pray without ceasing I had a conversation with some of the day talking about the real estate mentally and I say this a lot because it's very important you know when it comes to worry or it comes to fear it comes to uh, ungodly thoughts uh, temptation of any sort. You know, I just don't know what I'm going to do. Well, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. What that means is you pray and don't stop. Well, I mean, how, Brother Jonathan, can you pray all the time? Well, you can. And not only when you get done praying for everybody that you know and you get done praying for our government that God would get a hold of it and there would be repentance not only in this nation but all over the globe, I will encourage you to do what a brother in Christ shared with me probably 10 or 12 or 15 years. No, it's been about 16 or 18 years ago now when he said, listen, you can pray through the alphabet. I was like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you start going through the attributes of God and you start with A. And he says, I just start saying you are the almighty. You go to B. He is beautiful. All right. C, the Christ child. All right. D, he's our deliverer. E, he's excellent. All right. Uh, F, he is faithful. Huh? You keep on going. G, he's God. H, holy. I, the incarnate. J, he's Jesus. All right, we can, and, and what's really cool is he went back, he did the whole alphabet. Then he went back and he used different words. And there's so many that you can literally pray without ceasing. So if you want to ask me, what you're going to pray about, and you're, you just forget, you don't know what else to pray, I will be glad, I will give you, you ready, a litany of things that you can pray, and I assure you, there will be not more hours in the day than you have things, there'll be more things than you have hours in the day. But what's amazing is, is when you are in prayer, you're not able to be fearful. You're not able to be anxious. You're not able to struggle with what to do because your mind, there's one thing, unless you're going to tell me, oh, I multifaceted in my worrying ability. Stop it. No, when you focus on that, you cannot focus on those other things. So I want to challenge you 
to have moment like this, and it starts in your prayer life. We can find excuses why we shouldn't. What I've always found is when people here are trying to find a way to get to a place of obedience, it's amazing how well-meaning Christians can prevent obstacles and present those obstacles so beautifully how to prevent them from getting to the place of obedience. It's interesting. And the more places of obedience that you want to find, the more excuses the enemy is going to give you and even sadly well-meaning Christians around you that may not be completely yielded to him that are going to give you reasons not to do the right thing. So we've got to sit back and say, I'm going to remove every ability for the enemy to have any glory or any... And you know what's interesting? How many times someone's sin brings huh, yielded believers into disfellowship or problematic situations that originated with someone else's sin. Isn't that, isn't that wild? The enemy doesn't sleep, church. So therefore, what do I say? We've got to be bent on doing God's will. We can't wear our feelings on our shoulders. You wear your feelings on your shoulders. It's the old saying, as your child, you know, somebody comes to you about your child, you know, you got you to get this child under control. Wow, are you talking about my child? What? Oh, mama bear, stop it. Stop it. You'll cause more trouble with your attitude. Just remember, your child's a reprobate just like mine are, and probably when you come and tell me what my child did, guess what? They probably did much worse. And I'm with you on it. Grab them and whoop them. Why? Because I care about their eternity, not their feelings. And if you care more about your feelings or, oh, I don't want nobody else getting near my child, then you don't want to be involved in church fellowship because Scripture demands that you see my child like your children. And if you don't see it like that, you're out of step with Scripture, not me. We are a body. We are a family and if you wear your feelings on your shoulder, you'll have an enemy that makes sure that you were offended at every... This is not a time in history that we can lose. We can't lose this battle, church. I promise you we can't. Why? Because you remember when I was policing? This now is almost 20 years ago. And the children 20 years ago were hell-bound like I've never seen. 20 years ago... 80% of Southern Baptist, 80% of the ones here in Southern Baptist churches have left and abandoned the faith within 24 months of leaving their homes after they turn 18. If you remember, I preached a lot on this, talked a lot about this. Systematic theology and why it's so important for me and making sure that these young people, to the greatest degree that we do, understand what they believe, why they believe it, and how to defend it when they leave these walls. I pray that we have a statistic that are not mirroring the lost world. Remember, this was 20, might have been 30 years ago now that that statistic was current. Sadly, I would almost believe that in most places, it's probably higher now. Because we are, have been immersed in a godless society we have had the flannel graph type of Christian teaching in so many churches. We have denominations right now that have completely pulled out. Why? Because they have abdicated biblical solid doctrine and they've embraced doctrines of demons, which are saying that, that any and every form of whatever is fine and we're just here to sing kumbaya because God loves everybody. God loves everybody, church, but he hates sin. I don't know what's changed. 
I don't believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that anything's changed. The only thing that's changed is people. And what they've done is they have become people that are 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. They have found that they will not stand for sound doctrinal teaching, but will gather around them teachers to tell them what their itching ears want to hear. I'll find someone to tell me what I want to hear. God have mercy on their souls is all I'm going to tell you. Because you can send yourself to hell. I just encourage you not to take your kids with you. Dad, you better be in church. And I hope the whole internet sees this tonight. And I mean that with everything in me because if a dad goes to church, the greater likelihood that the children come to faith in Jesus Christ is the highest level, period, even if the mother doesn't come. If the mother brings the children, I don't remember the statistic, but it was really low. What was it, Katie, you remember? 30 or 40 less, I think it's under that actually, but let's just be generous. Let's say 30%, 40%. If mom herself brings the kids, the likelihood is under 40%. What? If dad brings it, there was upwards of 80%. What? A, what? Wonder why? Because there's a specific role that God called a man to be in the home, period. I'm sorry. You won't hear that on TV, will you? That's what God's word says. It doesn't have anything to do with me. It doesn't have anything to do with what I think. It has to do with the numbers. Why? I have no idea, but I know it has to do with God's creative order. God created the creative order for a reason. The same way that Scripture talks about the wife being the weaker vessel. Oh, don't talk down. That's not talking down to anybody. That's just saying and stating fact. It's truth. Which means that you men should protect your wives. You should set ramparts. You are to be their protector. Well, nobody needs to protect me. Well, well come on. God created you to be protected and taken care of and cherished what does it matter if, if humanity has decided that that shows weakness? I don't care what humanity says. I really don't. I care what truth is, and I want truth even if I don't like it. Anybody else like that? Anybody else like that? Okay, we have a few. Hopefully the rest of you are just a little slow on responding there. Because it doesn't matter what I want to hear. If I'm out of step with truth, I need to know that. If I'm not preaching the full counsel and I'm not teaching, I need to know that, hey, Brother Jonathan, you said that Jesus had a family. And said, no, I, no, I didn't. Let's clarify that because truth is the fact that it doesn't matter what some documentary on TV and some knuckleheads put together. That doesn't change truth. What changes is nothing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why I share with you, I'm so thankful, man, that, that Christianity is not built on the principle of abrogation because I would have jumped ship decades ago. Roughly 20, I'd have never got on the ship. Because the principle of abrogation says that some high up person in Christianity can walk in and go, hey, I've got a new revelation from God because you hear me and someone say the word new revelation and I'm out of there fast. Because there is, Ecclesiastes gives much insight into those words. There is nothing new under the sun, nothing. There's nothing new about truth that someone's gonna come up and go, oh man, I hear new, and I hear revelation, and I peek my ears up real quick because I know that somebody's getting ready to spew out something that's going to probably be 900 pounds of condensed manure, and I don't want anything to do with it. Amen? I want as far away from that as possible because it should be relegated to a septic tank because it is a doctrine of demons. It is not truth. I know that the unchanging truth of God's word, you might, as I shared with you last week or the week before about how we don't 
grasp kind of the, the, the farming model now. We don't have a lot of sheep farmers anymore. We have a few in our church, thankfully, that can probably attest to what I was talking about with that. But for the most part, we don't have people that have an intricate knowledge and understanding of sheep. Well, the scripture speaks a lot to sheep and goats and farming and things of that nature and, and the law of harvest. What you sow, that shall you also reap. So how do we translate that in the day's culture? You don't have to change the scripture to do it. What you do is have somebody that understands the scripture and, and is uh, wise enough to go and do a little bit of research on animals and understanding that sheep have no protective mechanism. They're really dumb. Amen? They're easily deceived, and they are extremely weak in the ability for them to want to live. They have no will and no desire to live. So they're very dependent on the shepherd. Hence, the reason I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Well, what that means is the shepherd's going to provide everything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I shared with you a couple weeks ago about how important that is because sheep, if you have nothing for them to eat, they don't sleep well. You know that sheep are nervous? They get real nervous. They worry. You know what else? You go out to a river that's got rapids, drag a sheep up to one to drink. No, see, the shepherd leads us beside the still waters, restores our soul, guides us in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Either I walk the valley of the shadow of death, what? He's already there. I was standing in the room of someone today who, in a very short order apart from some divine miracle, is in hospice because they are going to die. Yea, though I walk the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Huh, that's interesting. You know what that rod does? You know what the other end was that, that hit the, the shepherd held, right? Had the crook on, the shepherd's crook. You know, you know what that was for in some circumstances? When the sheep would get down somewhere, the shepherd couldn't reach it. If it started to go over a little bit of a cliff and it was down in a hole, the shepherd couldn't get down. They didn't have no ladders. They didn't have a UTV with some kind of special operative equipment. No, they could turn that upside down and grab that sheep around the neck and pull it out. The rod and thy staff, but guess what the rod also does at times? The rod has to correct. So when that sheep would start to go somewhere, it's able to inflict a couple love taps so that that sheep knows that the shepherd loves it and it's trying to protect it and if that sheep continues to do that, what did the shepherd have to do at times? Anybody know? Sometimes they have to break their legs. You know what it would do if it broke its leg and had to get to a place where they were going? It would have to put it over the shepherd's shoulders and carry it. Or if it would get hurt without that happening. But everything you see about the shepherd is so interesting because and you recognize how much the shepherd loves the sheep, you start to get this incredible picture of these helpless creatures that are incompetent and incapable of doing anything in and of themselves. I want to just tell you, I just spoke about us. But we have a shepherd that's willing to do everything. And where you sent that this week about anointing my head with oil and the flies and the larva that could have been laid in the eyes and pink eye, people don't know this from flies, Pink eye, 
You don't think back then it would have blinded? Yes. Anoint the head with oil. What did that do? It keeps the insects, the flying things away, keeps them out of their faces so that they're not plagued. One more reason for it to worry. The cup runneth over because why? The shepherd provides everything. And I love the fact that surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, that picture of sheep is just so fitting for us and the shepherd's promise of supernatural provision in every respect, covering everything that we could ever need. See, don't focus on the miracle of yesterday. Focus on today. Live seeking to honor, to glorify, to live the Lord with everything that you have. Set your eyes, your focus on him, the author, perfecter, the finisher of our faith, the path that God has laid before us today. It's not about that, those euphoric times. Those are wonderful. I'm not saying to minimize any way. But if you raise that as your rock, your Ebenezer of the power of God, and oh man, 25, you'll never believe 30 years ago, you, listen, God's doing stuff every day. We need to recognize that for what it is. Be thankful for those times, those rock of Ebenezer, the, the, that Ebenezer, you look back at that, man, I'll never forget when God saved me. Keep those in mind. That's a wonderful thing to go. I'll never forget what God brought me from. I'll never forget the addicted, the broken, the mess that I was, and Jesus met me just where I was. I didn't clean myself up, as you'll hear somebody say, well, I got to get cleaned up, and I'm going to start going to church. What? You're going to get cleaned up and start going to church? So why do you need Jesus? Just get cleaned up and stay home. If you have the power to do it, Jesus meets us where we're at because we have no ability to get out of the brokenness that we are. Jesus did not meet with the Pharisees and Sadducees because he was doing interventions with them because they had cleaned themselves up. No, he excoriated them, meaning he ripped them. He tore them apart. You whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones. Every interaction with them was a condemnation, basically. But yet, what do we see with Jesus? Prostitutes, tax collectors. He goes as far as to say, I've not come to call the, the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know what he said? He said, the body of Christ is not a house for the holy, it's a hospital for the sick. And that's what it is. That's why I, you've heard me say this, you have your life all together and everything's wonderful, you have no problems and everything's great and peachy and euphoric, what are you doing here? Because if you're normal, life is tough. Relationships are tough. Working's tough. Your health is tough. Your kids are relentlessly impossible at times. You know what I'm talking about. That's life. Some days you'll wake up, and see, I get up like this at 2 o'clock. I don't get up like this. I get up like this. There's times you look over and go, what was I thinking? Some of y'all tried to think you ever thought that once. Yeah. What in the world was I thinking when I walked down the aisle? Was I delusional? There's going to be days like that. There's going to be really good days. You're going to have amazing times. And you know what's so awesome? Those will trump all of those other minuscule number of days that you looked over and said, what was I thinking? Because that's life. 
and your kids are going to go out one day and, and God forbid you have a prodigal child, it will grieve you to no end. It will bring you to the place of an ulcer in your stomach or sickness or whatever it might be because you anguish over the choices that they're making or you feel as the enemy comes and says, you know, if you hadn't screwed up, they wouldn't be such a mess right now. And right, you've already confessed anything you didn't do because as a parent, you do the best that you can do with what you have because there's no parent out there that's going, let me see how I can mess their life up and make them as godless as any human being could ever be. Nobody does that. If you do, you're warped and twisted to help. And I'll just leave it at that. But you are trying to do the best that you can with what God's given you for God's glory. And, and you look back, especially at my age, and you realize there's a lot of things you just didn't do right. You did it with the greatest of intention, but you, you, you just didn't do some things right. And you want to go back, but we can't. We don't live with regret. We confess if something is sinful that we engaged in with them and the, the attitudes we had or the actions and the way we tried to deal with things. You repent of that and you go forward, though. You cannot be a victim to your past, and it's wonderful because even with my son, he said a couple, he said about a year and a half, right before his cousin died, um, we were talking at Christmas, both of them were together, and, and he, my son said, you know, he goes, Dad, you know, I got this place where I realized you are not the issue for the problems in my life. I own responsibility. I made choices, and I live by those, and I die by those. And it was really good to hear that because, sadly, I hear most kids these days that sit around and victimize themselves by, you know, if my daddy had my mama hadn't done that, I wouldn't be such a mess. And I said, he said, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Ben Carson could have said that. He could still be living in the projects in Baltimore. Why? Because, oh, poor me. I had no father and I lived in the projects. But Ben Carson wasn't going to be a victim of circumstance. He decided to use that as the catalyst with which to achieve incredible things as what? pediatric neurosurgeon it came from the hood to god be the glory amen what an awesome picture of casting off victimhood and that's one of the problems with our culture is we are living in a state of chronic victimhood now and victimhood will never allow you to live in the fullness of christ it won't because it blames everyone for everything and it becomes a systemic issue that never stops Ready? You live your life with one massive rearview mirror blaming everything and everyone. Victim, victim, victim. I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell you who the victim is. It's the one that died on the cross for us. He was the victim of our sin. He paid it in full so that we tonight have the ability to come boldly in his presence and repent of those very attitudes that are so ungodly, that are completely shackles with which we can potentially stay bound for our entire lives. Now, I'm, I'm in no way excusing things that have happened to people. I know that very terrible things have happened to people, and you can either be a victim to that, or you can be set free in Christ. And the only way you do that is, you know what true forgiveness is? No, 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 I'm waiting on them to come. I'll forgive them. No, 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 no. You want, you want to know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is saying tonight, you said, God, such and such did such and such, and they've hurt me, and, and I let them, I forgive them, and I release them of any debt that I feel that they owe me. And I, in the name of Jesus Christ tonight, release all of that. By the way, 
unless it's mentioned in your testimony, you never mention it again. You realize that's what forgiveness, because what does Scripture say? Forgiveness is the same way with Jesus, separating as far as the east is from the west, lost in the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered anymore. Now, the next time you have a conversation with someone, you go, oh, yeah, you know, it's just, I mean, you know how me, I, I'll just, oh, stop. You just backtracked on it, and you have brought up, meaning that's not of God, that's of the enemy. When the mention of something comes up that's been forgiven, we know exactly the address from where that originated. And it didn't originate up there. It originated down there. True forgiveness is, I had people who've asked me for forgiveness before, and I said, you are forgiven. And then the next time, I never forget, I next, saw the next person, I, I'm so, I said, what are you talking about? You know, I'm, when I, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. They're like, you, you know, well, and I said, you don't understand. I don't understand what you're talking about. And it, it hit them. And they went, oh. They thought that now I had the ability to make them feel bad and would be then able to shame them because of what they'd done to me. And what I did in saying what I said was, it's forgotten. Not only is it forgiven, but it's forgotten. And that's what it should be. And the beauty of living on this mountaintop, these are wonderful experiences. What Peter, what Peter, James, and John got to experience is absolutely amazing. I could not imagine experiencing what they did. But these are merely blips in the radar of our walk with Christ. These are beautiful experiences that God gives us and it's nice to springboard off, and this is what you hear me talk about, the euphoria of mountaintop experiences. These are very important for us to experience. These mountaintop, in the presence of God, experiences that, that fundamentally transform us. It's those times when we feel that communion and fellowship with God like no other time in our life. But don't forget this. The greater transformative works of God in our life do not occur up there. I'm actually going to tell you, and it's probably going to blow your mind, they occur down here. In the deepest of valleys, the trials and the tribulations are what grow us. James chapter 1 tells us that. And that's why it says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many or diverse kinds. The testing of our faith, it goes farther on there, so that we might be complete, not lacking anything. God is preparing us, church, I'll never forget two weeks after I'd gotten back with my thumb and I shared with you because God had laid it so heavily on my heart and I said, church, God allows us to go through these experiences and I said, this has been a very difficult one. And I said, but what I do know is God allows us to go through these experiences because he knows what's ahead. And I never could have dreamed how telling what I said was and how realistic not knowing what the next 10 days would hold. God did. And I say this with all sincerity, I'd let my arms be taken off to not have had to experience what we experienced on December 9th of 2022. I would lose, I'll even go as far as to say my arms and my legs because physical scars heal. The emotional ones, take decades 
if ever. Amen? But church, on the far side of this, I can't say it yet because I haven't seen, it's not at that place yet, but I will go back to the 1960s when my parents were in Peru. And I've said this, but I'm gonna say it because it makes sense in terms of this. As they're there in Peru as missionaries, my brother Dan's the only one born. My parents, pregnant, gonna have a baby. They have a baby in Peru. Two weeks later, Martha is dead. My dad goes in to pick her up and she's dead. Graveyard dead. They're alone, they're in the mission field. No family, no nothing. In Peru, you have to bury him in 24 hours, so Martha's buried in an obscure grave in Peru in the mountains of Peru. My mom and dad both almost completely lost it, like completely, just completely destroyed them. In that moment, can you imagine someone walking up with such good intention? God works all things together for good. They probably would have been beaten if it was me, and you said that to me, I'll be honest with you. I would not be able to promise you that I wouldn't respond harshly. I'll just leave it at that. Thankfully, nobody did that. But see, now as we're able to look, I actually hit me one day when I was preaching here. My mom had talked about the fact, and she didn't even say this to me. She had talked about the fact that they were not gonna have any more children. They had a boy, they had a girl, they were not gonna have more kids. My mom was gonna have her tubes tied, and that was over, amen? Okay, done. What do we know would have happened? My brother Tim, who's now the Chief Justice of the Appeals Court in Florida, would not have been born. And guess what? I wouldn't have been born. None of our kids would be here. I don't know where Longview would be. But this is the awesome beauty of God. God was still God in the mountains of Peru when my parents were on the mission field. And God knew that the appeals court was gonna need a chief justice who loved the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. And God knew that there had to be this reprobate born that ended up being a rebel till he's 29 years old that God got a hold of, put in the wheelchair for four years, prepared to be the pastor of this little tiny church that was about to close in March of 2008. That, by the way, for a month and a half, I tried to preach myself out of this church. I said every week, I'm gonna preach so hard they will, they will not ask me back. And every week I got hotter. I bet Brother Charles remembers. I preached so hot and hard that I said, I guarantee I went to him. I said, she won't, they won't ask me back now. And then they called me back and I said, I guess they want some more. So I'd get hotter. I'm serious. Every week it got more intense until finally I said, well, either they love the Lord or they're crazy because they want me to be their pastor. And then I gave a list of things that I said, God, if you want me at Longview Baptist Church, this is what you're going to do. And I didn't tell them this. I went in there and I said, what are y'all, what are you looking for in a pastor? And they went on through, and they went on through, and literally I asked Pastor Tim, who was the pastor at my church, who was, I'm under accountability with, I said, Brother Tim, I said, um, uh, he said, they're going to vote next week. He said, well, what, what's your mindset? If, if the, you know, 80%, what, what is it? I said, it's 100%. He said, you can't do that. You can't get two Baptists to agree on anything. And he was serious. You can't. You can have two Baptists and there's going to be one that votes against you. I said, if they want me to be my pastor, I'm not going to tell them, but it'll be 100%. He said, you won't be a pastor there. I said, that's okay. I don't want to be anyways. I want to be where God wants me. And if God wants me, 
God can't make it 100%, then he's not God, Brother Tim. And guess what? That Sunday morning church was 100%. It was 100%. See, remember this. Don't forget that when you're us, you get that phone call on December 9th, or you're my parents in the mission field, and you pick up your baby dead, because it's really easy for the human flesh to take over and go, God, you are not good. You are not faithful. You are not loving. And you are not just, and I don't believe your word. Because it's easy in the human flesh to say that in those moments. I know this. Don't think the enemy didn't try to get me to do that. I know he did. And I can even speak for my wife. I know that he tried to do that with her too, and our whole family for that matter. God's still good, and he's still faithful. He's still loving. And that's why tonight I stand here with the absolute, complete, unyielding, trust in what I say because I'm not looking back. I've forgotten what's behind and I'm straining what is ahead because I know those, those valleys are hard. They're not easy. And thank the Lord that he gave us a bit of a reprieve after December 9th. He has. I recognize there's going to be other really difficult times. I know that. I know until I see him in glory, there's going to be times that I am maybe at times like Job where you can curse the day you're born. That's what Job did. And I still want to say what Job said, naked I came, naked I go, the Lord giveth, Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And Lord, though you slay me, yet I'll trust you because he's ever faithful. God is merciful, he's sovereign, and I just want you to, I pray if anything you take away tonight, don't live in the euphoria of a bygone blessing of God. Live in the reality of what it means to get in his presence some days when you feel like you're as spiritual as, as somebody's pinky. When you feel like you spiritually hadn't batted a thousand, when you feel like an abject failure, look back to all that God's done and how faithful he is and don't give up. You continue to remember those experiences, the mountaintop experiences, that's okay to remember them with fondness and remember that as you're going through those experiences in the valley that are so hard, keep in mind there's a mountain coming. There's a mountain coming, I know this, but I need to go through this growth because God is preparing me and the deeper those valleys are, the more incredible those ministry experiences will be. The part we have a hard time with is the training period in the meantime. It's not easy. It's not. I know this. It's not. The four years that God had me in bed as he prepared me for this and I had no idea he was doing it. You think it was easy? No. It was as if my entire world, 29 years old, able to lift anything, do anything. I was the man of man. I was the man. That's, that was what I was. And God said, boom, I'll put you down until people are wiping your bottom for you because you won't be able to do it yourself. Because I had to break me of that self-reliance that us as man's man, this day and time, it doesn't take much to find, I'm sorry, it takes a ton to find a man. These days, our culture has been filled with, sadly, people that don't know what they are. And as a man, you're supposed to be that person, but guess what? 
you have to always give the glory to God and recognize the blessing of God being the source of all of that strength. And you can be a man's man as long as you're God's man. Because when you're God's man, you give all the glory to him. Your strength comes from him. You are willing and able to allow someone to help you because that is not an attack on your masculinity. It is the man who's able to see the blessing someone gets out of being able to help you and be a part of the body of Christ. Amen? God has blessed us with one another. And tonight, I pray as you look back, you look back at the fondness of the blessings that God's given, but strain ahead and remember the valleys, the mountaintops, and everything in between is God's preparing us as we're in this sanctification process for graduation day. And graduation day is the day that we breathe our last breath. And that is where we are transformed. The glorification occurs and we will dwell in his presence forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart and today you would like to make him not only the savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a savior and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life and died on the cross to pay for your sin. Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and you wanna live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.